0: The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.
1: Today, FM. Now earlier in the programme on Tech Tuesday, Andy O'Donoghue was talking to us about the so-called avatars. These uh, avatars for ABBA that were used in the Voyage tour which kicked off at the weekend. So having done that in Tech Tuesday, we're starting our music spot tonight by talking about that Unfortunately, d Reddy and John Cadell were not amongst those lucky enough to be in London for the premiere of the ABBA Void show. But Amanda Ferguson, who normally talks to us from Belfast on matters political, did find her way there. So, Amanda, how was it?
2: It was brilliant, Matt. It was just so joyous and glittery and shimmery and fabulous. And I loved every minute of it. It was great. OK, but was it real? Well, it was kind of an immersive experience. You found yourself sort of at the start thinking this is so surreal, this is weird I'm not sure what I'm going to make of this and then you just sort of went with it you know the fact that the the avatars were on the stage and then you were in a big dome shaped room and the screens were like halfway uh, round and then they had made a lot of effort to put like lots of lights and lasers and all that sort of stuff in and you kind of, not that you forgot about it but you just sort of got got caught up in it and you developed an emotional attachment to the the characters which I think is what the team uh, behind it were aiming for because you know the the detail in the in the in the avatars is insane. Like you could see the hair on their arms, and uh, the only thing I noticed was that the hair moves. The 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 girls' uh, longer hair moved at the bottom, but just not so much at the top but like what they've done to to create that show is brilliant and the fact that it's it's so accessible um and it's in a a good price range as well like tickets range from about 20 quid up until about 150 and you can pay it off and that sort of thing so um it seems to be one of those shows that is probably going to run for a long time and i'd imagine uh you know if it's if it's successful that, that there'll be other sort of incarnations with with different groups from the past maybe as well where is it on in london it's in Stratford so it's near the Olympic Village it's in Putin Mill Lane um so it's really handy for the DLR um it's really handy as well the the hotel that we stayed in across the road is kind of one of those Japanese sort of shipping container snooze box type uh facility so we were able to uh stumble out of the venue afterwards and then go to the the Dancing Queens uh, after party uh, and there were loads of people from Ireland um you know across the island um and- Added. So it was great sort of chatting to, to ones from Sweden and, and ones from Holy Lands in Kilku and from Dublin and, and everybody was just having a really good time and it seems to me as well that they've thought about their audience. You know what, we uh, pre-booked our drinks so when we arrived you just went up to the bar, give your name and reference and you were handed a, a brown bag with all of your, your drinks in it. So um, when in Rome I got some tins of pims, and my <laughs> other half had some Camden pale ale so we had a great night. Okay,
1: how many can they accommodate at the venue for a show?
2: I think it's about 3,000, and they have lots of different options. So there's the seated area, there's the dancing um, sort of uh, bit at the front, then they have dancing booths, so I'd imagine they'd be for like families and parties and uh, corporate uh, kind of gigs and then there's lots of accessible uh, seating as well so they've really thought about who might go there and they're also putting on um, matinee shows as well so if you don't want to go in the evening there'll be daytime shows and you could see like there was a gay couple that were beside me who were just living their best life uh, there were kids there, there were adults, there were you know people from, from all sort of uh, different uh, backgrounds. I was just a little bit raging that I was quite underdressed because there was a lot of people with sequins and feathers and really going for it and um, I was just sort of wearing my, my, my usual uh, kind of gear. So um, it really is one of those nights where you can just dress up and have lots of fun. And I think just after the sort of awful couple of years that there's been with the pandemic and everybody sort of uh, emerging from that, that, just to have something that's really fun and lighthearted and um, joyous. It was really nice to be part of. And um, it's the first time we've left Ireland since uh, 2019. So um, it, w- it was a good adventure heading over uh, to see the show.
1: Jen McSword says, I went to ABBA on Friday. It was incredible in capital letters. You
0: look envious, Dee. I am. I'm sick. I'm sick. <laughs> but congratulations to you. And that's interesting about having the the different types of seats or like, you know, a dancing area as well. Because I remember I told Matt before, but I remember going to see Mamma Mia in the cinema with my sister, who'd be the least engaged with ABBA out of the family. And she was unfortunately sat to a dude on his own who sang along to the whole thing. And I thought she was going to pass out from clenching her jaw. <laughs>
2: Well, the, the well, this is it, and I think that the that there's a lot of kind of like uh, video image, sort of cartoony, um. Sort of storyline across it, and then you have the, the the different band members who've obviously recorded, uh, sort of different sort of parts of, of conversation about the their different times in their lives, and you know they they speak in real time, so the the audience is responding and clapping to what they're saying as they're saying it, and it didn't feel weird, and I know that seems strange, you know, Patty and I were were sort of wondering if we were going to enjoy it, even though we're both ABBA fans, um, but we definitely did, you know, once you get in there and just so much effort's been put in uh, to making it really sort of visually stimulating and stimulating of all the senses so it was it was just a really good fun night And,
1: and Amanda, one last brief one to you um, What sort of music did they play? Was it all the old hits or did they draw on the new album?
2: Well, it's about twenty songs. It's a tight sort of one and a half hour, uh, but it's all the it's the majority of the 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 old classics. I'm sure that as time goes on, they'll probably change the set list up a bit, um, for for different uh, types. But yes, all the all the things you would expect to hear uh, were played.
1: Amanda Ferguson, thank you very much for joining us on the Last Word. So, John Cadell, you look even like you might have enjoyed that.
3: Well, I, I like I'm deeply cynical about exercises like this, but. I, I've figured out why I'm int- intrigued with the ABBA one. First of all, the song catalogue is mm. second to none. Second of all, this has been done with the endorsement of the actual yeah. band. Nothing to do with uh, the, the, the band's estate. And I know you're going to talk to a chap later on about that. But you know, the, in, on YouTube, the various hologram um, concerts that I've seen, they've been in like small theatres and it's been... You you know the hologram can't move from outside of this little box, and it's been Roy Orbison or it's been Ronnie James Dio, and they've looked crap. Mm. And I'm like, ugh, They're, they've all been dead, uh, so they've no say over you know how their music the manipulation is. Manipulation of their image, yeah. But this one is like you know the four members of Abba came out on stage at the end of the, even the second night came out on stage. So this is completely so endorsed. The real ones are the Abba the first? real ones. The real ones. Real ones. <laughs> Um, so this is this. There's no ickiness around this. No,
0: and they worked with like uh, uh, the Royal Ballet's choreographer to, to, and while wearing the motion capture suits to do the performance yeah. for this. So there yeah. is no real ethical blurriness.
3: Of no, it. I mean, and a state can say yes to anything if they want to see the dollars come in. But it's the actual artists themselves. The only drawback I would think is that for me, a major part of going to a live gig is just realizing that here is that artist. Within touching distance of you, so whether it be Paul McCartney you or, seats. or Bob Dylan, well, you know what I mean. Like you're you're literally breathing the same airs as your heroes, which you know I was I was in, interested to hear what Amanda said that after a while you sort of forgot that they were computer generated. You, you sort of warmed to these four individuals again because they are representing. The band members that you, that you're so fond of, and but an yeah, hour I, and a half I, is kind
0: of your perfect.
3: Yeah, I mean, do you gigs, hate when they go on I too long? I hate John. when a gig goes on. any more than two hours. I'm out of there. <laughs> I don't. I don't care who it is. Um, but yeah, so I I am very interested to see this.
1: Let's get a bit of music. Let's hear a bit of Kate Bush. Thirty-seven years after his first release, it's number one on iTunes. How come, Dee?
0: Well, because it has featured in um, the latest chapter of Stranger Things, so it is uh, Netflix. Probably one of their biggest shows, really. Um, and it's set in the 1980s. So the soundtrack obviously comes from that period. But there have been some people giving out about this online, Matt. And I just find it bizarre why? that you would try and gatepe- gatekeep how people come by the music that they listen to. They've been giving out that. You- I, I can't really get my head around it. It seems to be that if you didn't know about Kate Bush before Stranger Things, then why... Are you listening to her? Which is just bizarre. And also, like, aside from that, like, is there anything more 80s or 90s than a movie or a TV show making a song from mm. a previous era popular? Like, there, you know, Unchained Melody. Um, went to the top of the charts back in 1990, mm. uh, because of appearing in Ghost. You have I Will Always Love yeah. You, um, which charted in 1982 and then obviously 1992 for the bodyguard. And then you've got the really obvious ones like Pretty Woman mm-hmm. and My Girl, which were literally named after the song that yeah. they were, they were highlighting. So I just find it bizarre. And like, it's a brilliant soundtrack. And if it's opening a younger, audience to this classic music then let's go Yeah, I would have said looking at the
1: soundtrack for season 4 part 1 that The Taste of People Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill is Mm -hmm. the standout track Psycho Killer by Talking Heads as well The Beach Boys effectively is not an 80s track so I don't know why that's in
3: there What are you saying Ahmad? you're saying you're basically naming songs that you know and saying (laughs) they're the best ones
1: No, I know all of these from the 80s Rock Me Amadeus is a great one It's all right, but it's not up there We're Running Up That Hill or Psycho Killer
3: Uh, well, it's better than Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. Oh, Um, definitely. But they don't have to be all from the eighties, do they? They don't have to be. It's no, and
0: like, and there's, and but also, Dream a Little Dream of Me, like that would be a song that might, you know, somebody's parents in the eighties might have remembered from their youth as well. Do you
3: want to hear an interesting fact about um, running up that hill that probably lots of people know? Go on. Um, <laughs> it, it was originally meant to be, the song was originally called A Deal With God, oh. but her label wouldn't let her call it that because it was the lead single from the new album. They thought it would be controversial if the word God was in the title oh, of no. the single. So it became running up that hill, parenthesis, deal with God. I
1: not know that. There you go. That's why we have you here. It's so <laughs> wonderful information. John. Given that rudeness is something you know a bit about, what do you make of Camilla Cabello calling out rude football fans <laughs> who sang
3: over at the Champions League final? Well, I have to admit, I was, I was watching the Champions League final. And
1: waiting the, for it to come on.
3: Yes. Um, you know what, Camilla, read the room. These uh, football fans had been waiting nearly forty minutes Absolutely. for the, for the mm. match to start, and
1: those who were coming in last had gone through some dreadful situations. Yeah.
3: Nobody goes to the European uh, to the UEFA football final, Champions League Champions final, League. to hear Camilla Cabello singing.
0: Is that not on the people producing of the
1: show?
3: Of course, they like
0: should have that's, just like given it, her the shepherd's hook and said sorry. No, thank well, you. you yeah, we're, we're, we we're pay moved you to we halftime.
3: Yeah, actually, halftime. Like
0: if you're like if you're trying to copy the Super Bowl. Model that that show happens at halftime, not when people are chomping at the bit yeah. to get a bit of sport. And...
3: Yeah, I mean, ter- like it is it, the worst audience you could have wished for—an audience of football fans who him. had been who had uh, undergone some serious trouble before the getting into the stadium, and then the match is delayed. This match that they've spent thousands probably going to see, and the next thing, Camilla Cabello's on singing her medley of her hits and giving out that people weren't listening. I was saying to my wife, I was like, what's she at? Whoever it was should have actually pulled it, or if it was a sponsored thing, like you say, Dee, make something else, put it online or something. But football fans, of course they were going to jeer. They were waiting for their teams to come out and probably very, very stressed at the same time. They don't need to hear Havana when they're looking at their watch. OK, what's your pick of the week, please, D?
0: My pick of the Week this week, Matt, is from Rosie Carney. So she's got a new album out since last Friday. It's called I Want to Feel Happy. It's the follow-up to her 2019 debut bear um, and she has just like it's just fantastic Um, it's a real step in the right direction and certainly kind of confounds all of those kind of second awkward second album ones like it's been the Irish Times likened it to uh, Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo Um, and this song Dad off it is absolutely gorgeous Let's hear Rosie Kearney
1: Kearney and Dad from the new album I Want to Feel Happy, which is Dee's pick of the week. We have other things to talk about in a moment, but I want to get John's pick of the week in. And ah, you're back to the old reissues.
3: Well, this is, isn't actually a reissue, Matt. It's never been available it before. No, good. it hasn't. No, so do your research. <laughs> um, this is a concert of uh, Prince and the Revolution in their prime. Prince probably approaching his um, his prime in 86 and 87, but. This is on the Purple Rain tour. It's a gig from um, the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. Prince and the Revolution from March of nineteen eighty-five It's coming out uh, on double CD on Friday, and we're going to take a clip. I think. So this was
1: actually set out. This was on television at the time, apparently, wasn't it? This gig, or was broadcast? Jones via satellite.
3: Um, that's news to me. I must say. Um, so do your research, John. Um, <laughs> I, I was not aware of that, but purely from an album release point of view, it's never been out. Before and they just sound incredible. This is a clip of 1999.
1: a another little
3: factoid on the back of that. Uh, that has, the the, the verses have, this, this is very geeky, the verses have the same <laughs> the same metre as Manic Monday by the Bangles. You can sing the verse of Manic Monday over the verse of uh, 1999 and Prince, of course, under the pseudonym, Christopher, wrote Manic Monday.
1: Talk to me about Andy Fletcher.
3: Andy Fletcher uh, of Depeche Mode passed away very, very unexpectedly. I was shocked when I, I saw it coming through on the on the, the Twitter feed. Um, last week, at the age of only 61, I think, um, he was a founding member of the Pesh Mode um, and had stayed with the band, along with Dave Gann and Martin Gore, for 42 years. Um, he wouldn't, he uh, so admittedly, self-admittedly, wouldn't have been the greatest musician in the band, but he was essential for his, his sort of. His job as being the referee between mm. Gore and Gahan, certainly in, in the creative sense of things, and also was very au fait with the business <laughs> side of things and was a great uh, champion of uh, music rights for musicians and for artists and performers. So, yeah, he was sort of the studious one in Depeche Mode, we should say. Um, he, even his his old bandmate, Alan Wilder, said that Fletch, you know, as as a musician, wasn't great, but it was... But it was everything else that he brought to the band that was essential and you can't really imagine Depeche Mode continuing now without him.
1: Let's hear a little bit of Just Can't Get Enough. Oh, there's good 80s music, D. That should be on the Stranger Things soundtrack as well.
0: Absolutely, although it might be a little bit upbeat for Stranger Things.
3: Okay, just boomer.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> uh, were you just Pesh Mode fan?
0: Um, I mean, th- they're, they are a little before my time, but like I, I absolutely love them, you know.
3: I saw them in The Point in 2006. They're incredible. Incredible.
0: And it is interesting what you were saying about him kind of being an advocate for artists' rights because, like, he had no interest in songwriting. No, himself. no. But he went like he set up a, a record label. I'll buy yeah. it briefly, but you know.
3: Yeah, no, he was he was more interested in the business side of things, and you know, I think he 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 actually started the band really with Vince Clark. Yeah. Uh, of went on to be in Yazoo and Erasure, and then they met uh, Gan and Gore, and then Vince went off to do Yazoo, and Fletch was sort of like. As I said, he, he was never a big songwriter, but essential to the whole thing of what made Depeche Mode tick.
0: Must oh. be tough. Oh, sorry. Don't know. I was just going to say it must be tough to be in the mediator role. It kind of makes me think of you between sometimes, Matt.
3: Two, yeah, between those two lads, you're the Andy Fletcher yeah. of this triumvirate.
1: <laughs> right. <okay>. going <laughs> Right. All right. Thank you very much. D-Ready and John Cadell.
0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper.
2: Today FM. It all happens here.
1: I'm Shay Brady. I did two degrees at NCI, the BA in HRM and the MSc in Management. Going back to study when you're older, you really know what you want to do. I loved it, and my academic progress at NCI helped me get promoted at work. Now, when I see myself, I see living proof that returning
3: to education was 100% worth it. On Wednesday, June 8th from 5 to 7 pm, join us for NCI's On Campus Open Evening and learn about our full and part time courses
2: in business, computing, psychology, and education. To register, visit NCIRL.ie.